My guest in this show is Thor Holt. We chat about how to perfect a presentation or a pitch. We also look at how to kill confirmation bias. You know, the phenomenon which means people only consume content that confirms their own beliefs. And what this means for the stuff you've been reading about Trump and Brexit and what the public think about industries like financial services. Welcome to episode 118 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now here's your host, Roger Edwards. Welcome folks to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I know there are a load of podcasts out there you could be plugging into your earphones, so I'm genuinely grateful you chose this one. You know, over the last few weeks, I've been talking to some of my clients and to some of the guests on the show about how complex marketing strategy can get and how sometimes, especially in a corporate environment, it can become too intellectualized. As complexity and bureaucracy sets in, you can lose sight of the customer and the customer's needs and the problems you're trying to solve or even why you're in business in the first place. If this resonates with you, I'd love to help you get back to simplicity. If you want to have a chat, just ask. Hit me up at rogeredwards.co.uk or find me on Twitter at roger underscore Edwards. This week's interview is a belter. I really enjoyed my chat with Thor Holt. And not only has he got a great name, but he comes up with idea after idea and insight after insight. We chat about the stages to go through to perfect a presentation or pitch, live rehearsals and how to fine-tune your message, writing lessons from Stephen King, Scott Adams and other authors and journalists, and how we are all victims of confirmation bias and how Trump can teach us how to find a balanced view. Thor believes every individual and every business can make a bigger splash. His mission as a coach is to help you make more impact. He does this by listening to you, helping you discover and then build on your own strengths. He helps people prepare winning pitches, presentations and job interview strategies. On the Write With Courage podcast, Thor interviews authors and journalists to extract their tips and tricks for better writing. So let's get right into that interview with Thor here on the Marketing and Finance podcast. Thor Holt, welcome to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Roger, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Thor, thanks for coming on to the show. Where are we Skyping each other from today? I'm in Edinburgh, as always. I'm on Necker Island. Necker Island. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that you're in some sort of fantasy, if if you think that's where you are. No, I'm in uh, Bankery on Royal Deeside, just down the road from where the Queen has her, where she wisely has her summer house. Beautiful part of the world. Now, Thor, I've never interviewed somebody called Thor before, and I suspect I'll never interview anyone called Thor again. Where did that come from? Okay, so if someone wants to go into the full brutal detail, they can go and check out my TEDx talk. Just stick my name into Google with TEDx, as in the talks. But the the short story is my dad and mum were hippie, proper hippies. (laughs) They moved up to Shetland in the early 70s, and dad thought it would help me fit in he said there's a really strong norse influence here let's call him a norse name and there's nothing much more norse than odin or thor so he went with thor 
and here's the weird bit, Roger. All my mates at school had names like Martin, <laughs> and just totally standard names. So it didn't help me fit in at all. And I, pre- go. I presume you yeah. got quite a lot of stick at school, did you? So it maybe had the opposite effect. Correct. Yeah, it didn't help. If you're a if you're the son of English hippies and you're in small Scottish islands, you can imagine that the scenario was not really me fitting in. It was probably accidentally standing out even more than. <laughs> you might imagine probably a couple of scraps came punch-ups would have come from that name so Great you're almost in some sort of hall of fame along with apple poltro and trixie tinkerbell <laughs> geldof or whatever it is hopefully there's a kickback in <laughs> normal names these days everyone's called john or something <laughs> levity aside thought you've got a fascinating career um you are a coach you spend a lot of time helping people put together anything from presentations to communications you also run a podcast which is called writing with courage um but before we get into talking about that and the topic of conversation of today maybe give the listeners of the podcast a little bit more background about yourself and what makes thor holt tick okay so what makes me tick is getting to encourage people and also freedom Mm -hmm. so that might seem a bit simplistic to have kind of narrowed it down to two things two words but that's come from a lot of thinking reading trying different things and that's kind of where i'm at so if you put me in a scenario roger where i get to encourage someone or where i get to bring out someone's sense of freedom whether that be freedom to get up and give a presentation or a pitch mm-hmm. or whether it be on the podcast right with courage it's it's often about kind of a freedom of speech if you like we have mm-hmm. people on from left wing right wing muslims christians all kinds of opinions filmmakers writers so encouraging people and freedom just it's it's huge for me i i, I don't 100 percent know where it comes from other than that hippie upbringing that i mentioned i mean uh-huh. we did have a lot of freedom you know, had a motorbike at age 10 that I used to go to school on, had access to guns, cliff climbing, had my own boat age four out in the Atlantic Ocean without any supervision. I mean, there was a massive amount of freedom. So maybe it's from there. I'm not sure. But that's that's what drives me, Roger. So I guess you have to make choices, don't you? And mm. if you choose the value, you know, if freedom's your value, then then maybe security isn't your value. So if you were to put me in a big corporate environment, I'm fine as a coach. But would I, would I work there as an employee? Probably not. So yeah, it leads to it leads to certain choices which maybe make you less secure. But yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you'd probably feel very constrained in a corporate environment. I gather you're probably not somebody who likes bureaucracy and rules and uh, compliance too much. But funny you should mention that. Although yeah. I do, I do. I'm I'm a, I may be a hypocrite because I impose rules on my pitch clients. For example, <laughs> five stand up rehearsals as if it's the real thing, and and maybe that's. I trained as an actor a number of years ago in Sydney and in London. Right. And there, there is a, I have a strong discipline from that in terms of performance, in terms of when you get up on the day to present or pitch, you should be at performance level and I will get you there. And so I, I have a brutal discipline in that context. But yeah, you're right. In terms of kind of general rule following, I'm probably not a natural, <laughs> I'll be honest. So somebody will come to you and they may be... They may be pitching for a piece of work or they may just be putting together a keynote speech or something like that. And you'll take them through a process to make them more confident and more polished and and to shine on the day, presumably. That's fair to say. I mean, that kind of makes it sound like it's 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 always the same. But because every case is different, that's partly why I love it. I'll give you an example. So one was the head of an oil and gas legal team, very experienced professional person, ran a team of 20 other lawyers needed to pitch 
for the legal firm, but had had a traumatic experience as a school child. Right. And had been left to choke, basically, by their teacher. Had been left up there when they dried up and couldn't remember what they were meant to be saying at maybe age 10. Right. And this traumatized this person to such a degree that as a 40-year-old, high-flying, I mean, incredibly successful lawyer, it was now limiting their career because they were meant to be out representing the business and they were genuinely traumatized and terrified to do it. So that taking that person through a process is is different to working with a pitch team who maybe have a you know 20 million pounds worth of a deal to get and mm-hmm. you've got five of them and so it, there are similarities and the similarity is start with really the the people you're going to go and see what are their concerns what are their challenges what are their worries what are their needs you know the standard marketing stuff really but mm-hmm. often people don't apply it to presentation or pitch but then how you actually take walk people through the process will will depend on the individual needs of that person team company so yeah, there are definitely similarities, and I'm happy to, happy to go into that if you'd like me to, or whatever you think. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting. I love it because you said before that you're about giving people freedom, and and in a way that the example you described there, that individual that was left high and dry on the stage by his teacher all those years ago was almost like a self imposed constraint or a self. It was there was almost bars that had come down as as a result of that experience in his childhood, and and effectively what you're doing. Is is removing those bars, removing those constraints, and giving that person the freedom to to stand up on stage and 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 act and and present at a much higher level than they've ever been able to. So you have That's given that person his freedom back in a way. Absolutely true. And I, I I'm not going to take it all on myself and say I gave that person their freedom. Mm. I'd say they took it and I helped them take that freedom back. So mm-hmm. at the end of this, this is actually a pretty short project with that particular lawyer. It was three two-hour Enerprise sessions. And okay. Enerprise is just my system. It comes from energy presenter. Energy, your personal energy being the most effective and most important part about you as a presenter or someone pitching. But three two-hour sessions took that person to a place where they they took that freedom back with, with some guidance from me, but they mm-hmm. took it. They went and spoke at a big event. I mean, virtually unbelievably looking back on it after three two-hour sessions, but they went and spoke at a big event and firstly, I happened to know about the speaker feedback because I saw it and they got better speaker feedback than the other three speakers that were there. So that was great because that's marked literally by the punters in the audience. But the real win for me was and for them was that they were genuinely on the lookout for other speaking opportunities after that. And that mm-hmm. is where the rubber meets the road. It's not that they weren't nervous. Of course, they were still nervous. You know, everyone probably should be a bit nervous when they get up and present, but they felt free enough that they were going to go and look for other opportunities. So yeah, that that that's a good work or two weeks work a day at the office for me. And of course, public speaking is one of those things, isn't it, that terrifies lots of people. And and maybe actually back in the childhood of most of us, there's maybe an experience just like the one you've described, which which um, puts the brakes on that sort of um, skill as we as we um, grow up and as we develop. And and I know quite a lot of the people who, who listen to the marketing and finance podcast as part of their day jobs will have to get up, whether it's in a in a, in a small audience in, an, in, in within a company or in a bigger audience at a conference or something like that and they'll have to pitch or they'll have to put a story across or they'll have to try to sell something and I know that for a lot of people it is a really scary scary 
situation to be put into. So let, let's just go through um, an exa- example of, of how you would coach somebody through the stages that you mentioned there. So Im- imagine that m- me or, or somebody like me comes to you and say, okay, I've got to make a keynote speech in front of an audience of, I don't know, it doesn't matter, does it, 500 people in three months' time. What would be the process that you would take me through to prepare me for that big event so the first thing i would ask is well why roger why are you doing this mm-hmm. why are you why bother why mm-hmm. put yourself through this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd literally shut my mouth and listen right. and we'd have a conversation where i do a lot more listening than speaking and that's quite important because i'd be looking for little hints of where we might have a an angle as mm-hmm. it were, i guess mm-hmm. is the way to put it so that's the first stage in the process and that might be a 30 minute skype call or it might be a, an hour's coffee but it's 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 a discovery session it's me starting with the well why are you doing this at all roger why you why are you the right person mm-hmm. and of course yeah the, the answer so, so that's, that. that's that's the real starting point and after mm. that it's well who are we speaking to yeah and who are the key decision makers there so you've got 500 people you say well okay we're not speaking to 500 as a group, you know, they're not, they're not like a mass mind. These are 500 individuals. So who is the key decision-making listener for you? Mm. I, I always remember Stephen King, I think it was, said, Stephen King, the author, he, he obviously sells millions of books. So his audience is in the millions, never mind 500. But he writes for one ideal reader. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that might be, Roger? Have the, you have you read his book the, on writing? He, he, you call, have, he, he calls them dear constant reader, doesn't he? Or something like that. So do you know who it is? It's his it, wife, it, it, isn't he? Yes, he always well does done. it for his wife. Nobody ever does that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tabitha. Somebody, that well remembered. So to have yeah. somebody like that, very useful. Now, you're not going to have necessarily a Tabitha in that audience of 500 because maybe you don't know anyone there, but you do know people like them. You'll have dealt with people before who are key decision-making listeners like the ones that you want to emotionally affect in that audience. And Mm -hmm. that's the next place I'd probably go would be, well, how do you want them to feel when you finish? And maybe when you start and maybe in the middle, like how do we want them to feel? Which might sound a little feely, Mm -hmm. but with good reason, uh, because of course, feelings create action, don't they? Hopefully. That's absolutely right. It's a very interesting angle. And obviously we we discussed this last time we chatted, Thor, a few days back. And and I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently because a lot of people, when they do presentations or whether they're doing sales pitches or whatever it is, they'll go in with that end game is... I want this person or this group to buy my stuff or I want them to take this action. I, I don't think we actually think about how we want people to feel. Now, we might want them to feel really motivated and excited, but there are some occasions where we might actually want them to feel angry or sad. And I guess it really just depends upon what the outcome is that, you, that you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, I love that you said angry, because, of course, that's a hugely powerful motivator, mm. and not just in politics. You know, you can get people angry in politics, they'll vote the way you want them to. But it's the same. It can be the same with buying decisions. But I, I think one important thing that is not taking the first thought that comes to mind. So you might the classic thing is people say, well, I, I just want to inform people. I just want to get the information across. So I never let that rest. I mean, I say, no, no, we're looking for a feeling. So then they'll say something like uh, happy or enthusiastic. And I'll say, okay, keep going. You know, I'm looking for something. I'm not looking for excited. I'm looking for horny or, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. This isn't something they're going to tell their audience, by the way, but you're looking for people to be, I'll use that example because I started horny for your product or whatever the thing is now that sounds ridiculous but you can have a bit of fun with that well so how am i going to get them horny all right well you'd have to tell them a sexy story right what's a sexy story about this ifa product i've got hmm 
like that gets you thinking in a different way, in a more mm. creative way. It opens up the pathways to come out with something that you maybe wouldn't have thought of if you'd said, well, I want to get the information. Across. Yeah, I really like that. I, I think that I've always been a fan of stories. I, I actually do pride myself as a bit of a storyteller when I do do presentations. And I think that from stories, you can pull these emotions out. And, and I think strong emotions always resonate with audiences better. But again, it just comes back to this thing that a lot of people aren't comfortable standing up and telling stories. And it can be difficult um thing for people to do so it's good that it's good that you're in a position to help people get there i've also i've got a template we've developed that can help with that which i'd be happy if someone gets in touch with me just come to my website and come through inquiries i'd, I'd be happy to share that i won't i won't share it widely because it's been co-developed with somebody else mm-hmm. but it's a template to put together stories in a very effective way and it makes them easy to build out a story and then tell it very very quickly which which takes away some of the nervousness because if if you just say to someone well we need to tell stories in our presentation okay great how do you tell a story there's so many different ways of doing it and of course a lot of us are thinking well what the hell story i'm going to tell in a presentation but of course you know we are the sum of the our lives are the sum of the um, experiences that we've had and all the experiences that we've had throughout our lives are stories that we can tell and you can go back through everything that you've ever experienced and find a story which matches the scenario that you're trying to put across to your audience. If you begin with the implication or the moral that you're trying to get across, just write that down and then write a sentence across the top of the page that says something like, what story might I possibly tell that would reach this model or this implication or this lesson without having to overly spell it out to someone. So what story might I possibly tell? And I got that. That is not mine. I got that from Peter Thompson, Britain's most published personal development author. He uses that. It's that possibly to open up your brain. But then just write down any story that comes to mind. It might be your own story. It might be some sportsman. It might be something from history. Who knows what the story might be that you're going to tell that will start opening people's minds up to receive and whatever information yes you're trying to get across and also to get them towards that feeling state that we were talking about you must get quite a feeling of satisfaction when people come to you and you take them through this process and then of course you you hear about a successful pitch that they've put forward or you know a standing ovation on stage or whatever it is when you when you see the results that you've achieved it's it's huge anything from a text that says i smashed it thor thanks all the way through to my probably my favorite ever I'll, I'll give you a quick story. Is okay, that okay? Of course. So an organization came to me and said, we really need to pitch to win this project. And the thing is, it's pretty high stakes for us. We've, we've pitched for projects numerous times. We've never won business through pitching. We just haven't done it. We've won work in other ways, but we've never won it through pitch. This is a competitive pitch. There are three organizations in for this. We are one of three. The other two are perfectly capable of doing this project. But we've never, you know, we've never achieved it. What can you do for us? Oh, and the extra pressure is if we don't get it, we lose one fifth of our organization. We have Mm -hmm. to make these people redundant. Wow. Now, we then worked on it. It was quite a big project. It was worth 20.4 million pounds sterling, which is not a bad deal size in most people's books. I know some people that's chicken feed, but for me, (laughs) that's a big number. And for them, it was a big number in terms of, yes, the financial, but as I say, one fifth of the organization at stake. And so... To work with them and, you know, at some points we had various members of the team, including the CEO in tears because of the level of discipline I put them through. But I have to say the day I was with them on the day just before they went into the pitch, they went in, they did it, they came back. I'm getting goose pimples telling the story because it was so cool. They won it. They they, they, they won it. And, and they were at, the weird thing was the awarding panel 
told them that was incredible. That was what we would call a perfect score. They actually scored it numerically. They said, that's a perfect pitch. And I, I thought, well, no one's going to believe if I, no one will believe me if I say that, but that's what they told me. So that was just so satisfying. And the biggest satisfaction wasn't the number. It was the fact that they didn't have to fire, get rid of a fifth of the organization. That was just, that was a beautiful thing. If I could do that every week, I'd be delighted. But those, those projects with quite that much at stake are, are not as common as you might hope. <laughs> that, that's a fantastic story. And what you also do, Thor, as well as this coaching and well as preparing people for pitching and for presenting, you also run a podcast. We've mentioned it earlier, Writing with Courage. Now, initially, it seems that's quite a leap from coaching to doing a podcast about writing. So just tell me how you how you started that and where the idea for that came from. Well, the thing about me is I love reading. Mm. I I read widely novels, personal development, economics. You know, my degree was history, religious studies, some economics, some teaching units. And I, I just I've always loved books ever since I was a little kid. I've loved writing. I'm fascinated by reading and writing. So I love podcasts as well. So I'd had a look through the podcast. You know, I was on Tim Ferriss's podcast and a few of the other big names. And I had a look at some of the writing podcasts. They're very technical. Mm. And I thought, well, what I want is to get in about some of these writers. I want to hear how they write, why they write, like what's it all about for them. Mm. But I, but there are, there, there are some big name, you know, there's some big name writer podcasts. And I, I don't know, I just find the really big names not that interesting. I kind of wanted to come a level down and mm-hmm. I couldn't find this. And I thought, well, I'll make my own. Yeah. So I, I found out how to do it and I just started and actually, I'd been developing a relationship with someone for quite a while who's quite a big name. I'm happy to name him. And, and, and I managed to get him to agree, because I'd been building this relationship with him for a while, I managed to get him to agree to be on the podcast mm-hmm. early on. And that was Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, the business cartoon. And because of that, you know, my first week was like 10,000 listens. And you know, it gives you an unrealistic feeling of what you can do with a <laughs> podcast straight away. But I was kind of hooked from then on, though, just with how successful it was early on. And after that, you know, you go through tougher times and you have to start building your audience up again after getting a, a big name like that. But how did I get into it? It's really back to the values again. It's about encouraging freedom, because the thing for me is I built it around this Oscar Wilde quote, an idea that is not dangerous, isn't worthy of being called an idea at all. And mm. that's something that comes across in pitches as well it doesn't have to be a dangerous idea but it needs to have an edge mm. it needs to have a bite it needs to give me give me the goose pimple moment which i was mentioning before when i was telling that story and and that's kind of what i'm looking for it's that freedom goose pimple moment it's that it's that edge it's that electric something about the pitch about the message about the writer about the book that's what i'm looking for i guess so that's probably the commonality and i I have done commercial writing myself. I'm paid occasionally, not that often, but occasionally by clients to write pieces for them in various different formats, whether it be speeches, scripts for things, LinkedIn articles, various things. So I, so I am a paid writer myself after a fashion, but I'm, I have no aspiration to be a novelist or anything. And, and, and I just love meeting and hearing interesting people and writers. They're pretty interesting. So writers, I've done some filmmakers. I had the director of um, East is East, and she did more recently. She's a BAFTA award-winning filmmaker, Leslie Udwin. She mm-hmm. did India's Daughter about the horrific uh, gang rape thing that happened in Delhi a couple of years ago. And I've had a few other filmmakers. I've had various, mainly writers, though. So it is mainly writers, some British journalists and writers like Nick Cohen, Peter Hitchens. Sadly, couldn't get Christopher Hitchens because, of course, he's left this earth a couple of years ago. So, yeah, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with the podcast. I, it probably doesn't, it's not like an automatic link to my coaching, that's fair to say. But you know what? As I said, my life's about 
living those values probably more than it is about fully integrated business thinking. Do you know what I mean? Does Absolutely. That make <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I've listened to a few of your episodes. I listened to the Scott Adams one. Fabulous. I mean, I love Dilbert and, and it, just listening to the background to that was fascinating. But, you know, I hadn't realized, again, what a what a, um, a thinker Scott Adams was. And, and we're going to come into some of the things that Scott was saying um, in relation to Trump in, in a few minutes time. And I've, I also listened to the Peter Hitchens episode as well. I thought that was excellent too. And what you ask each of your guests towards the end of the show is for their top writing tip. And yeah. with with having done 40 or nearly 50 episodes of the podcast so far, what would you say, Thor, is the best writing tip you've had from all of your guests? Cool. Full disclosure, Roger did not send me this question in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to put you on the spot. That's the edge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you, know, do you know what I think it probably is? This is one that's been said certainly more than once in different ways, but it's literally don't think that you have to be like something special to be a writer. Just start writing. Because Absolutely. It's this. So many people think, oh, well, you have to be creative or you have to be a writer. Well, yeah, but where do you think writers start? You just start writing. That is the most fundamental thing. Just start writing. And okay, the first few paragraphs or the first few pages or the first few chapters, it might be total rubbish, but it's probably not. Do you know what? You'll probably find that whatever you're writing, whether it's a blog post or whether you're writing a speech or whatever it is, the sooner you just begin, the better. I know it sounds too common sense to even say it, but so many people do hold themselves back by thinking they have to wait for some kind of magical creative moment and that ain't coming that's probably coming a page in after a couple of coffees i think the thing is is a lot of people they get a pen in the hand or maybe not as much a pen in the hand these days a keyboard under their fingers and everything just goes blank doesn't it one of the things i always encourage my clients to do is to pick up their mobile phone or their ipad and use the dictation facility on the ipad or the phone and just start talking and okay, you can go in and you can put punctuation in and everything later on, but that will mean that you get your thoughts in the way, in the style that you talk on the screen. And that's writing. It's just that you've spoken it. And then you can go in and polish it up later. And I find that that's quite a nice way to get somebody to actually start writing rather than physically making them sit there and type stuff in or, or take a pen and actually start writing on paper. That's a brilliant tip. And it's actually something I do get people when i'm working on a presentation with them i do encourage that all the time so it's a great tip to use for writing as well i got the most hilarious tip i can tell you the funniest one if you want to yeah go for it to go listen to it's write with courage on itunes or soundcloud not writer or writers it's write as in w-r-i-t-e write with courage if you go and look up the gavin mckinnis episode he he is of Scottish heritage. Yeah. He's Canadian and he's he's one of the founders of Vice magazine and he's he's a nutter. <laughs> Basically he's crazy. He would be happy with me saying that. So Gavin's advice was something along the lines of uh, whiskey makes it something, Adderall, which is some form of amphetamine prescription medication, makes it something else. And he goes through this list of just craziness of how he writes. <laughs> so it was very, very funny and worth a listen. Interesting. One of the questions that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast and it's usually a question that i ask towards the end of the podcast and the question is is there a campaign or a product or something that's caught your attention in the last year and then i ask people to tell me what they liked about that campaign or their product and we did discuss this when we when we chatted um, a, a week or so ago thor and like quite a lot of people recently you cited the trump campaign 
in the States as something which stood out for you. Now, I know that uh, that campaign has effectively divided America and it's probably divided the world. And, and we're not going to get into the, the pluses and minuses of Trump as an individual. But it was interesting that when I was listening to the Scott Adams podcast episode that you'd recorded, he was using this example as well. And I think there's probably something to explore here because it was a campaign and it obviously resonated with people in a way that really nobody expected. Is that is that is that a, a, a good introduction to to where where we want to take this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's something if you think of what Trump did, if we try and let's try this, I haven't done this before. Let's kind of try and micro his campaign and take it into a presentation. situation. What did he do? Well, he was for, for whatever, whether you like him or not, he just said what he thought. Now, mm. he could probably have done with some polishing. Yes. But there's something about the inverted commas authenticity or the certainly the perception of authenticity among a lot of people that really did resonate. Now, you mentioned that a lot of people hate him. Yeah, it's probably like that, though, with a lot of products. At least people knew about him. So there were, I don't know, what, 15 other uh, Republican contenders. Mm -hmm. But nobody really cared about most of them. So they didn't they neither loved them nor hated them. And I guess you could look at that in terms of a product or a service or a company. If at least if people hate you, they've heard of you. Yes. So, I mean, you maybe don't want to end up with the, the level of vitriol delivered against Trump. <laughs> for sure. But if you're going to put your head above the parapet and go and present in any context, you're going to have you're going to always have some detractors. You know, some people will be like, oh, blatant self promoter. Uh, yes, I'm responsible for marketing this business. So, yes, I am a blatant promoter. Indeed, there's that concept which was taken to extremes with Trump and people accused him of being a you know, a blowhard, a windbag, a blatant self-promoter. And you think, well, yeah, but that's the game. Now, I'm not saying every presenter needs to become a Trump, but I, but yeah, I, I found it a fascinating experience. And I think Scott Adams called it pretty early on. And I have to say I did too. And I can prove it because I bet some of my own money on Trump winning. Right. And it was that. It was the fact saying things that some people thought and just didn't feel safe to say. And even the people that didn't like what he was saying, I think a lot of people actually respect people that speak their mind. Yeah, I mean, I mean, going back to what you're saying about helping people put together the presentations and the pitches, and we talked about emotion. Obviously, if you're selling something, if you want somebody to take action as a result of your marketing campaign or as a result of the presentation that you're you're putting across, you have to engage with them. You have to say something that makes them sit up and it appeals to their 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 sensibilities. And is it that is it that Trump just found a way of talking to a part of America that the other politicians just just didn't get? I suspect he did. I mean there's been a lot written and said about this, but I th I think he yeah I think he did I think so let, should we take an example of like the the whole thing about um Mexican immigrants coming in mm -hmm. and that kind of famous inverted commas Mexican rapist speech the media made quite a big deal the mainstream I guess of the media made quite a big deal about the phrase you know the Mexican rapist I if you actually looked at that speech which I suspect a lot of people did they could see with their own eyes and ears that he wasn't actually saying all Mexicans were rapists so when the media tried to kind of make out that's what he'd said. Well, <laughs> if that's not what people heard, I think they probably gave him the benefit of the doubt, including mm -hmm. quite a lot of Mexicans. I mean, there were there were a lot of 
um, actually a lot of Hispanic folk, a higher number than voted for Romney, apparently. And and indeed, the, the other interesting one, I guess, was the Muslim population in America. Mm-hmm. Apparently, now I need to double check these stats, but from my research, three times as many Muslims voted for Donald Trump as voted for Romney in 2012. So you've got to say we might have felt offended for them and maybe the mainstream media felt offended for them, but he got across to Muslim voters like no other Republican did. Now, I find that really interesting. Yeah, the media effect, I think, is really important as well here because, you know, we have 24-hour coverage and, and you know, sometimes I get really fed up if, if I accidentally leave the television on and the news sort of does its 15-minute sort of cycle and at the at the, the head of every 15 minutes you get the headlines, don't you? And the headlines are just the same stuff, repeated, repeated, repeated. And the media create stories. And, of course, there's a lot of stuff at the moment that quite a, that maybe some of the news stories we read and see on TV TV and on the internet are actually fake news stories. And I think that if if we try to apply this to what was happening with Trump and what's happening with, with any news story, I think that you've got to be prepared to look at both angles. So if the newspapers say, this person says A, you might actually want to probably go away and, and, and check that and find out whether there's an alternative story. And it's interesting, one of my relatives who lives in America um, was over in the UK visiting on the day of the general of the um, presidential election result, and she was absolutely mortified by the fact that Trump had won, and she was saying, you know, he's he's he supports fracking, he's he's going to um, he's going to create global warming, he's going to press the button and create a nuclear war, and I was really quite shocked by how biased she was. And when I asked her to give me some um, justification for her views, all she could do was quote the media. And I just felt I'm sitting there thinking, well, okay, I'm sure some of the things you've read are true. I'm sure some of the things that you've read may be a little bit overly biased in the in the opposite direction. And I just thought you are a classic example of confirmation bias in overload here. And what you probably need to do is to probably go and, and, and check out some alternative stories. Do, do you think that, that that sort of thing's going on here to a large extent? Yeah, do you know what? I'll, I'll give you an example from my own life to make this point about what the media actually achieved with mm. their coverage, the mainstream media. It was 1988, and my little brother had given me a Pogues album, right. audio, audio cassette. He'd given me that for my birthday, and I couldn't find it. I lived in a little croft house in Shetland, so I'm searching around the house, and I go into the kitchen, and there's my loving mother feeding my cassette into the kitchen aga into the fire Mm -hmm. i said mom what are you doing and she says thought this music is evil (sighs) she was a christian by this time she converted from being a hippie to being a a christian she said this music's evil and she put it in the fire my goodness unbelievable so what would you do you know i'm an atheist i don't actually believe in um, the devil or evil and so what I did is possibly what you might do, which is go and get all the pogues you could possibly find as a 15-year-old. And also, while listening to the pogues, enjoy a good few drinks, to put it mildly. <laughs> Shane McGowan, the old lead singer, who was a bit of a party animal himself, would have been proud of me. And I think that pogues effect you know, was really in play in America. It, the media just went over the score talking about how evil he was. He's literally Hitler. And when you do that, you make the guy more interesting. You give him an incredible PR machine behind him, actually. And your average punter 
does, does what I did with the Pogues. They go out and get more of it. They try and hear more about this guy that's supposedly so evil because they can't quite believe he really is because they don't really believe in evil. And so I actually think on a, on a kind of a meta, you know, what would it be, a macro level, you know, a, a major level, that is what they did. That's what all the negativity about him achieved. And it was quite obviously overblown. But what it's led to is a lot of people feeling very emotional. And I honestly think, Roger, in four years' time, we're all going to have a good laugh at ourselves and say, you know, not much actually changed. He might or might not get a wall built, you know. <laughs> you know, most a lot of countries do have borders. It's not actually that radical. And, and Hillary wanted a wall anyway. Go look it up on YouTube saying the same thing in 2006. Basically, there's so much hyperbole, so much hype. And, you know, to bring it back to presenting, that's something to be cognizant of when you're mm. presenting. Mm. Don't You, you don't want to overhype. You want to let people come to their own conclusions. And you do that by presenting probably much more subtle stories and let people come to their own conclusions. Pose questions, give a story, and let people come to their own conclusions. If you badger them and label things and go into the hyperbole like the media did with Trump, I'm afraid you're more likely to cause the opposite reaction, whether that be people not buying your stuff or whether that be people just thinking you're an idiot and they won't come and hear you speak again. That is so interesting. And, and of course, 80% of the people that listen to this podcast are working in the financial services industry. And we are affected by this as well. You know, one of the companies that I used to work for was an insurance company. And the public think that insurance companies never pay claims. They think that only 30, I think it's 38% of insurance claims are paid by insurance companies. The actual figure is about 97%. And that is a massive, massive gulf between the reality and the perception. But yeah. if you go onto the if you go into the media and type in insurance claims, you can find article upon article, watchdog episode upon watchdog episode, daily mail article upon daily mail article, reinforcing the fact that insurance companies don't pay claims. So all people have to do is to go onto the internet and they have their view confirmed because they can read an article which actually reinforces what they believe. And what we really need people to do is to say, okay, if you believe something because you've read about it, you really do need to try and find the opposite view as well. Find an article that says the opposite and then try to find a balance between the two because the reality is probably somewhere in the middle. I totally agree. And that's, that actually reminds me of another parallel we could draw with what happened with that Trump election. And that is... I think the new media, whether that be individuals on YouTube or whether it be organizations such as uh, Spiked Online, mm -hmm. who are kind of a left-wing online news source from London, or Breitbart, who are more to the right wing, they, they might not hit it exactly right either. But if you're looking for balance in the news, you might want to check out those sites as well as your mainstream media sources. And I think, I suspect, in something like financial services, where you guys have had a really bad rap, often unfairly... Mm. Um, I suspect it might be about creating your own media, whether that be your blog or your your podcast or whatever it is, to give a, a bit of balance. You know, yeah. like the election, the balance actually had to come from YouTube channels, Spiked, Breitbart, whatever. I think, yeah, I think that might be actually an answer because that's a big discrepancy. What did you say, 38% to 97%? That's I mean, it. that's and, I, and I'm not saying all mainstream media are liars. That's not what I'm saying. But they, they have a point of view. They're not completely objective you know they're not completely balanced i'm afraid so yeah i think maybe that is the lesson here is to we need to be creating our own or you guys need to be creating your own media to to balance up the picture whether that be going out and presenting 
on a basic level or whether it be things that reach higher numbers such as blogging, podcasting. I don't know whether, does the FCA allow you guys to do that though? Yes, it does. And it is actually one of my crusades, Thor, to try to get financial services professionals to put out positive stories, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a video, whether it's a blog article, whether it's in a presentation, because I do believe that the only way to overcome this confirmation bias that a lot of people have is mm-hmm. to see the opposite view. And the fact is, at the moment, there aren't uh, aren't enough positive stories. There aren't enough opposite views out there. And when people do search for stories about financial services, unfortunately, they find the negative ones. So yeah. the way forward, as you say, is to push more positive stuff out there in whatever form it might be. And eventually, hopefully, we will start to equalize that balance but it's a long game i think it's not going to happen overnight but we do have the technology now with with our mobile devices and our videos and our podcasts and our ability to publish and be heard very quickly i do think we've got a better opportunity now than we've ever had before to try to put the opposite view forward well bring it on i say it's good to get different opinions and that's partly what I'm after with the podcast, the Write With Courage podcast. It is all about getting different opinions. I've had from the first openly gay Muslim Arab novelist, a lovely guy <laughs> called Abdella Tai, uh-huh. uh, through to, you know, on, on the, I've had like a Christian Breitbart journalist. I've had um, Scott Adams, who I think he came out as a Trump supporter in the end, but he's, you know, obviously a kind of a business guy. He's written 15 books and done that business cartoon through to a left-wing economist, Mark Blythe, who's at Brown's University in, in the US. I mean, it's really important to me that we we do balance these things up, but the way you do it is by allowing everyone to have a say. So yeah, I love the idea of that kind of uh, quiet revolution going on in financial services. That's rather a rather a fun idea for me as a as a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> so we've covered a lot of ground today, Thor. We've talked about all sorts of different subjects, and it really has been fascinating. But what would you say was the one thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from the from the experiences you've had as a presenter as a coach as a writer and as a podcast host i think it might be to keep trying until you come out with your own stories whether it's stories about your own personal career or your family or i'll give you a little example we we did a a business storytelling masterclass for actually a financial services company in edinburgh Mm -hmm. before christmas and it was a beautiful thing to see them kind of realize that oh, you don't have to be a inverted commas creative to have stories. We got them telling stories about their family and things to begin with. And you, you wouldn't necessarily use them in a presentation, but you might. And we got them telling stories, you know, client stories, whether they were good ones or, or unsuccessful cases they'd had. And you wouldn't necessarily use an unsuccessful story from a, from a client experience in a presentation, but you might. Mm. And to see them realize how creative they actually were, despite being financial services professionals and and it just came about because we kind of gave them permission over two days to to come start coming out with this stuff and to try it out on each other and on us so that is i think would be the thing i would encourage people is to realize that you probably do have some cracking stories yourself and or your company and you should just start sharing them and as long as it doesn't break any of your you know restrictive rules or whatever but you'd be surprised how often it doesn't break any rules and how often it's you that's kind of setting yourself a rule that you mustn't share such and such well ask yourself why you know 
try it. Maybe try it in a small audience, try it with colleagues, but try just start building out these little stories and telling them. You'd be amazed at the engagement factor. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, find the story and get it out there. And as you say, most of the time you won't need to worry about any of the regulations or any of the compliance because you won't be pushing a product. You'll be telling a real life story and real life stories aren't product pushes. They're not term promotions and therefore there shouldn't be a problem with the compliance wow thor this has been an amazing conversation i've thoroughly enjoyed it i can't believe that nearly nearly an hour has gone by since we started this recording i'm hoping that people listening to the podcast today are going to want to get in touch with you so what is the best way that people should connect with thor holt well if they are on twitter come and check just come and connect with me send me a message, whatever, at Thor Holt. So T-H-O-R-H-O-L-T on Twitter. I'm fairly active there. Also, come and say hi at the website. You'll find the podcast there. You'll also find Right With Courage on iTunes or at SoundCloud, whatever you happen to listen to podcasts, you'll find Right With Courage there. But my website is just my name again, thorholt.com. And yeah, I'd love to hear from people, even if you're not interested in becoming a client. Don't worry, you don't have to become a client and come to the website. Just come and say hi, check out some of the podcasts and uh, love getting feedback. It's the breakfast of champions, so they tell me. So yeah, get in touch. (laughs) And of course, I will include all those contact details in the show notes for this um, episode, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. For... It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Fascinating conversation. I'm feeling really hyped up and motivated. Thanks for coming on the show. And I really look forward to meeting you in person at some point, probably in a coffee shop where we will ask for a discount. (laughs) If people want to know what we're on about, go check out my TEDx. Find out to get yourself free coffees on there. Guaranteed. (laughs) I thought I would leave that little bit of a cliffhanger for people to find out about. Thanks again. Thanks, Roger. Awesome speaking to you. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.